This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table. Gospel according to Matthew 5, Matthew 5, 21 to 26. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder. And whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you'll be liable to judgment. If you insult a brother or sister, you'll be liable to the council, and if you say you fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your sibling has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your sibling, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with them, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. For the word of God in Scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> Words are powerful. And you know that if you've spent any amount of time on an elementary or middle school playground. A story in the Seattle Times gives an example in an article entitled, Mean Girls, The Playground Gets Even Tougher. It begins, Scarlet made for a good target. The daughter of an artist, she wore funky clothing to her school and she was generally timid and insecure. And Lila, the resident, quote, mean girl in Scarlett's kindergarten class, started in immediately. Scarlett, she sneered, couldn't read. Her Payless shoes weren't good enough. She wasn't, quote, allowed to play with other girls. Lila was forming a band and Scarlett couldn't be a part of it. Another girl threatened to physically hurt her, and during recess, Lila would loom over Scarlet, arms crossed, and say, I'm watching you. These are kindergartens. Yikes. Whew. Well, Scarlet's mom says, I was in middle school before things got as awful as they did for Scarlet. I understand that children are maturing much faster, but to see such hostility at such a young age, wow. It was shocking. Michelle Anthony, a psychologist and co-author of the new book, Little Girls Can Be Mean, said, girls absolutely exclude one another in kindergarten. When her own daughter was manipulated by a friend into racing down a slide that had been carefully laden with mud, so that when she got down, it made it look like she had soiled herself and had to go through the rest of the day that way. Uh, Michelle was taken aback when that happened, and she says, you don't expect to run into that level of meanness in a kindergarten. Apologies if that brings anything back for any of us. <clears throat> What's the old saying that you might hear sometimes on the playground? 
Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. <laughs> we know that isn't true, right? We know that isn't true, because no doubt all of us are still holding on to words and the associated pain that have come our way at some point in our lives, probably many points. And especially words from people we respect and admire, people close to us. Now, most of us, uh, I hope, have never killed anyone. That wasn't a good transition, but I had to. <laughs> that was probably also true for Jesus' audience, uh, though in ancient times, uh, the chances of an average person having killed someone was maybe a little higher. I'm not sure, but if the moral checklist that we were going by contained something like, did you kill anyone today? And you said, no. Great, you had a good day. Right? That would be a pretty low bar for us to cross, and hopefully all of us would cross it. So what is Jesus doing here in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, you have heard it said, but I say to you? Well, for one thing, he's not doing away with the law. He's not saying, you've heard Moses say such and such, but we're way beyond Moses now. But you might think he's saying that, right? Because sometimes people will say things like, well, now that Jesus came, the law doesn't matter or apply anymore. But when we really look at what Jesus is doing, we see that he's not lowering the bar, right? He's raising it. He's raising it. You have heard it said, he says, to those of ancient times, you shall not murder. But I say to you that if you are angry with someone or insult them, you are liable to judgment. Now he's hitting us where it counts. He is calling us to go deeper and higher than just the letter of the law. Deeper in that we uncovered the roots of murder in our hearts long before we could ever act on it. And higher in that we're called to act on a higher plane and uncover the hidden emotion of anger that can lead horrible actions in the world. And of course, this hard attitude often will show up in our words. After all, as one writer puts it, an insult is a kind of character assassination, a kind of socially acceptable violence with words. Most of us wouldn't dream of murdering someone. But probably all of us have said things about others, particularly when they're not present, that we wouldn't say to their face and that we probably shouldn't have said. So the kingdom of God calls us beyond simply doing no harm, which of course, no physical harm, which is a big improvement, right? But to go even further and do no harm with our words. The story is told that long ago in a small Eastern European town, a man went through the community slandering the rabbi and spreading all kinds of untrue things about him. Well, one day he suddenly felt remorseful about this. So he went to the rabbi, begged him for forgiveness, and offered to undergo any penance to make amends. The rabbi told him to take a feather pillow from his home, cut it open, scatter the feathers to the wind, and then come back and see him. 
So the man did that, he went home, he got the pillow, ripped it open, scattered the feathers to the wind. Then he came back to the rabbi and said, am I now forgiven? Almost, came the response. You just have to do one more thing. Go and gather all the feathers. That's impossible, the man protested. The wind has already scattered them. Precisely, the rabbi answered. And although you truly wish to correct the evil you have done, it is impossible. It is as impossible to repair the damage you have done as it is to gather all of those feathers. Words have power. The very scriptures open with God creating the universe and the world with words. God said, let there be light. And there was light. And so words have the power to create and also the power to destroy. Rabbi Joseph Telushkin tells of the incident where one day his five-year-old daughter, Naomi, was in a weepy mood. And in a moment of frustration, his wife yelled at her, I hate it when you keep crying over nothing. It hurts my ears. If you can't stop your crying, then you can't come with me, and I'm just going to have to leave you home. Well, the next morning at breakfast, Shira, Naomi's younger three-year-old sister, started crying. Well, <laughs> big sister Naomi stuffed both ears, both fingers in her ears, and screamed at her sister, I hate it when you cry, it hurts my ears. If you have to cry, go into the other room. Well, the rabbi says, my wife Deborah was dumbstruck. Naomi had exactly replicated her impatient tone, her chiding, even used some of the exact words. Well, embarrassed and eager to show Naomi a better response, she went over to the crying little Shira and sat her on her lap and said, Mommy, sorry she forgot to wait for you to put the blueberries into the pancakes. I never want to make you cry. I'm just going to sit by you until all baby Shira's tears Go away. Well, five-year-old Naomi was carefully studying this exchange. And during the coming days and weeks, Deborah made a point of repeating such compassionate reassurance whenever she saw Naomi or any of the other uh, children crying. And sometime later, he says, our youngest child, Benjamin, who's only two, decided to kick little Shira in the shins, prompting a fit of wailing. Well, this time, as Shira is crying, Naomi sat right down beside her hurt sister and said comfortingly, it's okay, Shira. I'm going to sit right here for the whole night and wait for you to stop crying. Words have power. The power to harm, but also the power to heal. There's an old uh, rabbinical exchange which actually echoes in many ways, what Jesus is saying here. And there's a conversation, and one rabbi compares the tongue to an arrow. And another rabbi says, well, why not a sword or some other weapon? Because he is told if a man unsheaths his sword to kill his friend, or perhaps enemy, and the friend begs for forgiveness, apologizes, is prostrate and everything, and the person has a change of heart, he can return the sword to a sheath. But an arrow, 
one's shot cannot be returned, no matter how much one wants to. And words are like that. They can pierce the heart, and they cannot be unspoken. And so this notion that Jesus came to teach that the law was so Old Testament, and now we're beyond that, it's not what is happening. Jesus is echoing other Jewish teachings and bringing this to the heart of the Torah. He's calling us not only to follow the law, but to go deeper and higher. He's calling us to address the root causes of emotion and intent that are the seeds out of which actions such as murder grow. Right? You're not going to murder someone unless you're really angry about something. So yes, you shouldn't murder, but also let's deal with your anger. Why are you so angry? What has you so upset? And is it really about that person or that situation or about something that's going on with you? The Talmud teaches that when a wise person loses their temper, they also lose their wisdom. It says anger clouds judgment, rage destroys it. It's hard to make a good decision when you're angry. And I can say that from experience. <laughs> Probably all of us can, right? When you're angry, this, being smart or wise or compassionate kind of goes somewhere else. The Buddhist teacher Thich Nhat Hanh wrote, when you're angry, you suffer as though you're being burned by the fires of hell. <clears throat> He says, when a person's speech is full of anger, it's because he or she suffers deeply. And when we're suffering this way, we become full of bitterness. We're always ready to complain and blame others for our problems. And so then he goes through some practices that we can incorporate to what he calls cool the flames of our anger. And he starts by saying, we need to look at ourselves. Are we taking care of ourselves and our own lives? Are we paying attention to what we eat? Taking care of our bodies? Are we exercising? Are we treating and taking care of our spirits? Our souls? Are we taking time to practice meditation and prayer? Because if we're not caring for ourselves, we may be angry for feeling a lack of control over our lives. And then he says, to understand and transform anger in others, we must learn the practice of com using compassionate and loving speech. Again, paying attention to our words. And this leads right into what Jesus says next, that reconciling our relationships is more important than religious duty. Right? Jesus says, if you're on the way to make an offering or to go to church, for example, and you've got something against a brother or sister, first go and repair that relationship, then carry out your religious obligations. Marshall Rosenberg in his book, Nonviolent Communication, which we heard a little bit from in our words of integration and guidance, recalls this episode. He says, I was seated directly across the aisle from a couple on a mini train that carries passengers to their respective term terminals at the Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport. Perhaps you can conjure up such a scene uh, in your mind. He says, for passengers in a hurry to catch a plane, the snail's pace of that train may well be irritating. 
This is bringing back for me our experience in the Amsterdam airport last summer. But we won't bring that back. Just leave that where, where it is and save that for another time. So this husband and wife were on this slow moving train, bringing them between terminals. And uh, Rosenberg recalls, the man turned to his wife and said with intensity, I have never seen a train go so slow in my life. She said nothing, appearing tense and uneasy as to what response he might be expecting from her. He then did what many of us do when we're not getting the response that we want. He repeated himself. <laughs> I have never seen a train move so slow in my life, he says with a little more emphasis. The wife, at a loss for response, looked even more uh, distressed and in desperation. She turned to him and said, you're on an electric timer. <laughs> well, Rosenberg says, I didn't think this piece of information would satisfy him. And it didn't. And so he repeated himself for a third time even more loudly. I've never seen a train move so slow in my life. I feel this guy's pain. <laughs> and now thankfully the wife didn't respond by correcting his grammar and saying, actually, it's, I've never seen a train go so slowly. She didn't do that. But what she did say, she didn't do that. But what she did say wasn't much more helpful. She snapped back angrily, well, what do you want me to do about it? Get out and push. <laughs> Feeling a lot of sympathy for and empathy for the situation. Rosenberg says, now there were two people in pain. What response was the man wanting? He says, I believe he wanted to hear that his pain was understood. If his wife had practiced compassionate listening, she might have responded, it sounds like you're scared we might miss our plane, and you're frustrated because you'd like a faster train running between these terminals. And yet what we tend to do when someone says something out of anger that makes us angry is to say something angry back. Because we imagine that if we make the other person suffer a little more, perhaps we'll suffer a little less. But Thich Nhat Hanh, the Buddhist teacher, says, if your house is on fire, the most urgent thing to do is go and try and put out the fire, not run after the person that you think set it on fire. If you run after the person you suspect has burned down your house, your house will burn down while you're chasing them. That is not wise. He says, you must go back and put out the fire. So when you are angry, if you continue to interact with or argue with the other person, if you try to punish her, you are acting like someone who runs after the arsonist while everything goes up in flames. And if you've ever struggled with anger, you know what it's like when everything goes up in flames. Instead, we must cool the flames of anger within ourselves so we don't spread it to others. We must tend to our own suffering, our own hurt, our own anger. And when dealing with someone else who is angry, practice deep, compassionate listening. Book of Proverbs put the, puts it this way, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. By putting into practice deep listening and loving speech, the Buddhist sage says, by going deeper and higher, we can restore communication and bring happiness to our family, 
our school, our community, and then we can help other people in the world. And I have to think Jesus would agree. Amen. Amen. Maybe so. invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. streaming on Facebook. You can also watch these messages on the Holland UCC YouTube channel. And for more information, how to get involved, or to support our work, like us on Facebook or visit hollanducc.org.